This morning, if you will, turn your Bible to uh, the book of 2 Peter in the New Testament, right? We're, we're kind of working through a series called The Way of a Disciple, and we've, we've, uh, we've covered a lot of ground, and actually, uh, man, there's no way to recap what we've covered, and so I'm not even going to try this morning. This morning, we are going to be in 2 Peter, and what we're going to see this morning is there is a divine sequence of becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ. And, and we'll get to the, the main text here in just a second. But, but as we begin and as you're finding Second Peter in your Bible, uh, let me ask you a question. H- have any of you ever bought uh, like, like, like this furniture that, that comes in a flat box? You know, they call it ready-to-assemble furniture. You guys know what I'm talking about? Like RTA, ready-to-assemble furniture. Like if you go to Ikea or Home Depot or Lowe's, it's that stuff that looks really good on the website. But it's already put together, Right? And, and you want it, you see it and you want it and you go buy it and you come home with this flat packed box and, and it's ready to assemble, right? And, and so you have to bring that thing home and, and then you've got to make a decision, man, am I going to attempt to build this thing? Or I'm going to get my, my husband or my wife to build this thing. I, I want it together. I want the end product because I fell in love with the reviews and the picture online. You know what I'm talking about? The thing, the thing, yeah, we'll have marriage counseling sessions available this week. Okay, so the thing between the finished product and what you come home with is that there is some assembly required, right? And here's what I, here's what I know about things like this, because many of you are head nodding me, and you understand the, the struggle that I'm about to talk about. You see, I think those things like that, furniture like that, especially stuff like that, reveals a lot about our humanity, let me, let me just tell you that when you, when you take on a project like that, it reveals that there are three types of people in this world. Number one, it's the, there, there's the type of person that refuses to read any of the instructions and that refuses to even put it together. But you got a spouse for that, right? That's why you got married. You know what you want, but somebody else is going to have to put that thing together. You're not going to lift a finger to make it happen. And, and all of you that, that fall into that category right now, give me a hefty amen. Yeah, no, but, but you can always find it online at, at communityfellowshipbc.org. Okay, so, so that's the first type of person. Hey, I know what I want. I want that, but I'm not going to have any hand in putting that thing together. I'm going to get somebody else to do it, and they better do it right, because yeah, if they don't, I'm going to let them know. Is that right? Is that right? Okay, that's the first type of person. All those people, we know who you are. You don't have to raise your hand. Okay, secondly, there are those type of people that get the box home. And man, they dump it out and they just start building it. They don't look at any instructions. They know that, hey, man, I'm a smart dude. I can put these pieces together. I'm going to make it work. Only to come to the realization that about halfway through the job, you missed something important back at step three. And now you're at step 17, and you realize, I have to take all this apart and go all the way back and fix this one thing that everything else is connected to. Okay, so, so those are the people that say, hey, listen, I, I'm going to do it. I'm going to give it everything I got. The problem is we don't read the instructions. Now you know which group I'm in because I'm a smart dude, and I can figure this out. And, and listen, no offense, but like, uh, you know, I've done a lot of different things in life. Surely I can put together a piece of furniture without instructions. That would be incorrect, by the way. But many of us take off and we, we start building and then only to come to realization later that, hey, we actually need to go back and look at the, the instructions to figure out where we messed up. You know what I'm talking about? Those people? Are you those people? 
Anybody? All right. Praise the Lord. The third type of person is the most rare type of person on the planet. I mean, this is a, a very rare breed of person through, who, through their own solemn discipline and sober-mindedness. Lay out all the pieces, organize, organizing them according to part number and, and type, and then they read the manual top to bottom, and then they methodically and precisely build the project the first time, and they build it right. And I've never met one of those people. I'm sure they exist. Is he, anybody, is that you? Is that, is that Chris Kane? He's, some of you engineers, man, I figure, you know, like that, that's it. Okay, so listen, you, you are all one of those three types of people, right? Here's what I want, but somebody else has got to do it. Here's what I want, and I'm going to give it my best effort, and I'm going to be busy about it, but then I'm going to have to actually undo it and redo it again two or three times, and it's frustrating, and then finally it's done. Okay, and then the third type is like, okay, this has a process and a sequence, and it's important, so let me take the time to do it right the first time. Those people get on my nerves. Anyways, okay. I'm like, just go get it and ask questions later, right? Okay, as silly as that illustration is, it reveals a lot about our, our, our tendency as a human, and it, and it reveals our tendency of our nature, and, and I want to make a parallel this morning and, and show us that, man, as silly as that is, many times that same tendency in our life is how we approach becoming a disciple of Jesus Christ, we, we, we all come at this thing of discipleship from a different perspective and with a different strategy many times. And we're all, I think, aiming for the same thing, right? We want the finished product. We want what's built to be right and functional and perfect. And, and so this morning in 2 Peter chapter 1, we're going to look at a passage of Scripture that actually lays out for us a divine sequence of becoming a disciple of Christ. And, and I want you to understand this morning and make no mistake about it. God's desire for every one of our lives is to be built up into a disciple of Christ. God wants our life to be built up into a disciple of Jesus Christ. And yet, concerning this issue, well, just like we have three types of people that put together furniture, we, we have generally three different tendencies toward this thing of discipleship. You see, some people, some Christians, have a desire to become a disciple of Christ. But the truth is, they won't lift a finger to do anything to get there. As a matter of fact, their dependency is on somebody else to do it for them. They'll, they'll never build themselves, but somehow, some way, they think that a church or a pastor or even Christ himself will just magically make them a disciple without any effort of their own. And, and there are other people, there are other Christians that, 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 man, just pour out all the pieces and start building, right? They understand things like, like church and fellowship and Bible reading and prayer and serving and evangelism and ministry. But, man, it's like my kids and Legos. They dump all the pieces out in their life, but they really don't know how to put them together orderly to become a biblical disciple of Christ. Does that, does that make sense? And, and so listen, some of us, man, we're, we're really good at getting busy, but we have no clue how these things connect and interconnect to make us a disciple of Christ. And then, and then again, the rarest of Christians, right, understand biblically 
that God has given us an instruction manual in his word. And and truly, there is a, a, a structure and a system and a sequence and a process. And God has laid out all the pieces and the divine sequence to follow to truly become a disciple of Christ. And man, it's the rarest of Christians that really get that. And so my, my goal this morning, and, and I believe God's goal this morning, is to help us understand, man, biblically, there is a pattern to follow. There are some instructions that God has given us, and if we properly apply these things, we will guarantee in our own life that we'll become disciples of Jesus Christ. We absolutely will become what we desire. Now, in 2 Peter chapter 1, historically, let me, let me give you a little bit of information about what's going on. We'll always want to set the context, right, of, of what we're studying. And so in, in, in 2 Peter, I want you to look at chapter 3 and verse 1. This is, this is on the screen. There's a little backstory to the story of what, what Peter is writing about and who he's writing to. 2 Peter chapter 3 verse 1 tells us, this second epistle, beloved, I now write unto you in both which I stir up your pure minds by way of remembrance. And so if this is Peter's second epistle, that means there must be a, a first epistle, and I knew all the smart people showed up to church today. Okay, so listen, whoever the audience is of the second epistle is the same audience as the first epistle. Does that make sense? And, and so in 1 Peter chapter 1, if we go back to that passage, again, it's on the screen for time's sake, God tells us that Peter is an apostle of Jesus Christ, and he's writing to the strangers scattered throughout Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. And we'll get more into this in just a second, but just understand that Peter is writing to strangers that are scattered. That word stranger in your Bible many, many times, most times, is actually used to refer to Gentiles. It's used to refer to Gentiles, and and we'll, we'll get to the meat of that matter in just a second, but just know that both of his epistles are directed at the same people group. And here's the other thing historically you need to understand, that Peter, as he writes this second epistle, he's nearing the end of his life. Okay, and, and I want you to go back to 2 Peter 1, verses 13 to 15, and I want you just to look at this. Because, man, if there were ever an, an important thing for us to understand historically, Peter is really pinning what I believe are his last words because he knows that his imminent death is about to happen. Okay, look at, look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 13. It says, Yea, I think it's meet, as long as I am in this tabernacle, to stir you up by putting you in remembrance. Check this out, verse 14. Knowing that shortly I must put off this my tabernacle, even as our Lord Jesus Christ hath showed me. And so Peter had access to some unique revelation Christ had revealed to him, hey, Pete, it ain't going to be long, man, and you're going to be out of this body. You're going to to put off this tabernacle. Look what he says in verse 15. Moreover, I will endeavor that ye may be able, listen, after my decease, to have these things always in remembrance. And so historically, Peter, man, is writing to strangers scattered. And historically, he knows this is the end of his life, and he's writing under the Holy Spirit's inspiration to make sure that the things that he's, he's giving his audience are available even after his death. 
Can I just tell you, just a side note, man, that, that speaks volumes to Peter. It speaks volumes to the fact that his life was lived beyond his 60, 70, 80 years, however many he had. Does that make sense? His life was lived in a sense to leave a legacy. And, and so he's living out his last days with the intention and influence of reminding his audience what Christ wants them to know. What a powerful testimony. And so historically, that's what's happening. Now listen, doctrinally, this book of, of First and Second Peter fall after the book of Hebrews. As a matter of fact, you have James, First Peter, and Second Peter. And if you know anything about the order of your New Testament, God gives us a, a, a four-gospel account of Jesus Christ's earthly ministry, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. And then the very next book is a key book called the book of Acts. And Acts transitions us from Christ's earthly ministry to now the, the time of the New Testament church. From, from the 12 apostles of Jesus Christ, ultimately to the apostle Paul. From the kingdom of heaven context, ultimately to the kingdom of God context. That, that book of Acts is a transitional book. And after that book, you have all the Pauline epistles in your Bible. And then you have the book of Hebrews. And the book of Hebrews, again, is a transitional book, and it shows us that God's ultimate timeline will refocus back on the nation of Israel during a time of tribulation, and ultimately, these general epistles also have an end-times prophetic emphasis. And maybe you're saying, wait a second, what? What are you talking about? Well, here's what you need to understand from, from James and Peter. Both James and Peter are writing to people that are scattered. They're writing to people that are scattered because of persecution. James tells us in James 1.1 that James is writing to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad. And, and, and so we know who the 12 tribes are. Who are they? The nation of Israel. And listen, 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 1, again, Peter's saying, hey, listen, this is the second epistle that I'm writing to you, we go back to 1 Peter chapter 1, it tells us that he's writing to strangers that are scattered abroad. Well, well strangers are different than the 12 tribes. And if you stay, take the time and study that word stranger out again many, many times, most times, both Old Testament and New Testament, not every single time, but most times it points to the Gentiles. And so again, just a doctrinal snapshot, it's not our point this morning, but but listen, historically, there were scattering in the early church because of persecution. But doctrinally, during the tribulation period, there will be both Jews and Gentiles that will be scattered because of the Antichrist one world religious political system. So you have to understand that the doctrinal application of those epistles and, and, and their place, not only historically, but doctrinally as well. But this morning, we're going to focus in on the devotional aspect of these, these passages. And I, and I want you to look at 2 Peter chapter 1, verse 1. And, and, and this morning, as we begin, we're going to learn, I think, some practical things that we can understand as a disciple of Christ. Wanting to, to be a disciple, we're going to see God's divine sequence of how to build a life that ultimately results in being a disciple of Jesus Christ. 2 Peter chapter 1, and verse 1. I don't have that one on the screen. Let me read it, and then I'll pray, and then we'll get into your text. 2 Peter 1.1, 1, 1, you've got your Bible open. Simon Peter, a servant and an apostle of Jesus Christ, 
to them that have obtained like precious faith with us through the righteousness of God and our Savior, Jesus Christ. Let's pray together. Father, we need you this morning. God, I pray, uh, man, help us to see these things clearly. God, as we open your word, and help us to, to come willingly, humbly, with open ears and an open heart. and See how it is we're to build our life and, and, and the order and the sequence in which we are to become a disciple of Jesus Christ. God, I pray that these words transform our lives and meet with us now. We ask it in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Point number one in your notes, we see Peter has a profession of faith. And so if you're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, number one, you have to have a profession of faith. And I want you to look at the the, the passage because this man is called Simon Peter. Simon Peter. Now, Now, we looked at 1 Peter chapter 1. And he opens that epistle just with the name Peter. But in this epistle, his last epistle, he calls himself Simon Peter. And you got to ask the question, why did he not call himself that in both? And why does he call himself now? Well, listen, Simon is who Peter was before his name was changed. That's who he was. That was his his. His God-given name or his, his motherly and fatherly given name, it was Simon. And his name literally means, Simon literally means shifting sands. That's what it means. And so listen, Simon, as a, as a natural man, as an unsaved man, as a sinful man, that's who he was. He was just Simon. And God tells every one of us that, man, that we, we as sinful people... Man, we're born into our sin with our physical birth. We're born into the devil's spiritual family because of our, our human birth. God tells us in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and verse 14 that the natural man receiveth not the things of the Spirit of God. You see, there's a natural man and there's a spiritual man. And, and the only way that you can go from being a natural man to a spiritual man is through a spiritual birth. It's through a transformation. The natural man doesn't receive the things of God. They're foolishness unto him. That's why people can listen to preaching and teaching from God's word and it blow right past them. Because some of them haven't been born again. They're not spiritual men and women. And they don't understand God's word because they've never received the spirit of God. They've never received Christ as their Lord and Savior. And so, and so what we see in Peter's life is a picture See, many times in the Bible, God gives a person a new name when he wanted them to have a new identity and when he purposed them for a new mission. So, so Simon's name was Simon. But God said, that's not good enough. So I'm going to change your name. John chapter 1, check this out. The Bible tells us in John 1 and verse 41, he, he first finds his own brother Simon and said to him, we have found the Messiah which is being interpreted the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. And when Jesus beheld him, he said, Thou art Simon, the son of Jonah. Check this out. Thou shalt be called Cephas, which is by interpretation a stone. God tells, God tells Simon, hey man, that you are Simon, but I'm going to change your name. I'm going to transform your life, but it is going to come at a certain point. And so Jesus is foreshadowing his name change, but it didn't happen in John chapter 1. It actually didn't happen until Matthew chapter 16. And so let me give you the verse 
Jesus is, is sitting with his disciples. Jesus came to the coast of Caesarea, Philippi, and his, he asked his disciples, saying, who do men say that I am? Hey, what's the word on the street? And, and they said, some say that thou art John the Baptist, and some Elias or Elijah, and some and others Jeremiah or, or Jeremiah or one of the prophets. And he said to them, but whom say ye that I am? Okay, okay, everybody's got an opinion. Who, who do you think I am? Check this out, verse, verse, verse 16. Simon Peter answered and said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Right? And Jesus answered and said unto him, Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood have not revealed it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. And I say also unto thee that thou art Peter. And upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell should not prevail against it. And so Peter makes a profession of faith. Who do you say I am? You're the Christ, the Son of God. And, and Jesus says, hey man, you didn't get that from flesh and blood. It's the Spirit of God that gave you that. It's God Himself that gave you that. Your name is now Peter. You're different. You're a different man. You're different than who you were before you made that profession. And by the way, that's the way it works in your life, and that's the way it works in my life. When you make a profession of faith in the person of Jesus Christ, God transforms you into someone else. You look the same, you, you dress the same, you smell the same, but you are a different person because God has transformed you through your faith and his son, and his finished work. And, and Peter makes that profession, and God gives him a new name. And I want you to make sure you catch this, that Peter's name is actually reflective of Christ's name. He gives him a name that identifies Peter back to Christ himself. You see, the name Peter means a rock or a stone. And and and. No offense, but, but don't think that the church is built upon Peter. The church is not built upon Peter. Peter got a name after his profession that identified him with the person of Jesus Christ. By the way, the true rock upon which the church is built is Christ. He is the chief cornerstone of the church. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 4 says that all did drink the same spiritual drink. Talking about Israel in the Old Testament. They drank of that spiritual capital R, rock, that followed them. And that rock was who? And so listen, when, when Peter made a profession, he was given, a, when Simon made a profession, he was given a name, Peter. And that name connected him back to the person of Christ. Because, because Christ is the rock upon which the church is built. And, and listen, can you, can you just understand that when you made a profession of faith, God gave you a new name too? And what His name is for you as a believer in Christ is Christian. That's your name. Acts chapter 11 and verse 26. It says, when He found Him, He brought Him to Antioch, and it came to pass a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first. In Antioch. And you need to understand that the name Christian is what identifies us with the person of Jesus Christ. It doesn't make us Christ. 
No more than being called Peter made Peter the rock upon which the church was built. All it does is identify us back to the one who saved us. Because here's the deal, listen, just like it wasn't about Peter, it's not about us. It's not about us as Christians. It's not about me. It's all about him. And so our name is a reflection and an identification with the person of Jesus Christ. For Peter, his name Peter wasn't about him. It was given to him to connect him back to Christ. And for us, the name Christian is given to us to connect us back to Christ. You say, what does this mean? Here's what it means. Becoming a disciple begins with a profession of faith. If you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, you can't become a disciple because it begins with a profession of faith. But the last part of that statement is also critically important. It doesn't end there. Once, you have, once, you, once you've made that profession of faith, well, there's some things now that you need to do to grow in a relationship with Christ. And listen, you know why, you know why I think God gave us in this last epistle of Peter, the opening, Simon Peter? You know why I think he gave us that? I believe he gave us that because Simon, at the end of his life, didn't forget who he used to be. He, he didn't forget that he was Simon. But he also didn't forget that God had changed his life. You see, you see, we have to make sure we never forget who we were before we came to Christ. The minute you forget that, you think you're somebody. <laughs> you think you're better than everybody else. Listen, you're nothing more than a sinner in need of a Savior. That's any of us. And so I don't need to forget who I am, who I, who I was, but I also don't need to forget who I am now in Christ. Because, man, listen, I, I've been changed. I've been transformed. I've been forgiven. And every day of my life, there's going to be a battle between my old man, Simon, and my new man, Peter. And, and man, listen, you got a choice to make every single day. Are you going to keep living your life like Simon? Or are you going to walk in the newness of your identity, Peter? That's a choice we all have to make. You know, you, know, you know, Peter, after his name, after his transformation, after God gave him that name, do you know that Peter still messed up? Do you know it was Peter that denied Christ three times? When you go back and read those passages about his betrayal of Christ, it doesn't say that Simon said that he denied Christ. It says that Peter denied Christ. That, that's his name that was given to him, and yet he, he still failed. What can we learn from that? Even after we get saved, man, we have a choice to make. And we have to choose if we're going to walk as Simon or we're going to choose if we're going to walk as Peter. Man, listen, it begins with a profession of faith. And so the question for, for all of us is, have you made that profession of faith? Have you come to the place where God has radically transformed your life through His Son? If the answer to that is yes then you've begun the journey to become a disciple of Christ. And the answer to that is no. There's no way you can become a disciple of Christ without a profession of faith in Christ. That's where it has to start. Point number two in your notes. I know you're looking at the time saying there's no way. There's two sides to this note sheet. There's no way we're going to get done. Man, we will get done, I promise. Number two, 
I want you to see that, that once you make a profession, God gives you the potential for an entrance into his kingdom. Now, it doesn't mean potential as in, hey, some of you are going to make it, some of you are not going to make it. That's, that's not the point of the blank. Look at verse 3. According as his divine power hath given us all things that pertain to life and godliness through the knowledge of him that has called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises that by these ye might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that's in the world through lust. And so listen, God has given us all things. By the way, all means all. He's given us all things that pertain to life and godliness. How did, he, how did he give us all things that pertain to life and godliness? He gave them to us through the knowledge of him that called us to glory and virtue. You have everything that you need for life and godliness through the knowledge of Christ Jesus. That's all you need for life and godliness. No, man, you don't understand. You hadn't seen my budget. You don't, you don't know what broke this week. You don't, listen, I, I get it. We all have stuff that breaks. We all I get it. Whatever you think you need. The only thing that you need for life and godliness is the knowledge of Jesus Christ. And when you have that knowledge applied biblically, well, listen, God works out all the details. Look at verse 11, verses 10 and 11. It says this, Wherefore the rather brethren, give diligence to make your calling and election sure. For if ye do these things, and I haven't even told you what the, these things are yet, but there's some things between chapter, verse 1 and verse 10 that if you do these things, you shall never, never fall. So an entrance shall be ministered unto you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here's the point. God, right after your profession, gave you the potential to have an abundant entrance into his eternal kingdom. But it all hinges on an if. In other words, you're going to go to heaven no matter what. Because you are saved, you are sealed by the Spirit of God according to Ephesians 1 and Ephesians chapter 4. You're going to be there. But the question is, are you going to have an abundant entrance or just a mediocre one? It all hinges on this if. If you do these things and you give all diligence to do these things, man, you're never going to fall. You're going to have this abundant entrance into God's kingdom. Like positionally, you're already there. Ephesians tells us that we're seated in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. But practically, I think all of us want that abundant entrance. But if we want it, we're going to have to follow the instructions. We're going to have to follow the instructions. Oh, we're going to build something that won't equate to an abundant entrance into God's kingdom. So, so, so we have to learn, man, how do I build toward that? And how do I accomplish that through God's grace? And listen, if you don't pursue that, well, you're still going to heaven, man, for sure. You're born again. You're saved. doesn't mean that you're not saved, but it does mean that your, your entrance into God's kingdom may not be abundant. Maybe mediocre at best. Oh, well, I'm just I'm going to be glad to be there. For sure. But man, there's going to be probably some regret. There's probably going to be some, some, some hindsight that's very clear that, man, I missed out on, on what I should have been focused on with my life. 
And so let me get to the third point, which is this process. Because we said that God has an instruction manual for us to build. And and this process is proclaimed to us in verses 5 to 7. And so Peter, in in his final words, writes out the things for his audience to remember. He says in verse 5, And beside this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue knowledge, and to knowledge temperance, and to temperance patience, and to patience godliness, and to godliness brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness charity. So God reveals to us, here is the process, here's the sequence that a life of a disciple looks like. Here's the building plan. Here's the information to follow systematically and sequentially. And it requires all diligence. So, so go back to my illustration, man. You ever brought that, that package home, that bookcase you were going to build, that, that file cabinet you were going to build, that, that piece of furniture you were going to build, and then you started on it, and man, you got so stinking frustrated with that thing. It was like, man, I'm about to... Re- bang my head against the wall. I hate this. And then you just stopped. And then next week, you kind of saw it sitting over in the corner and you thought, ah, I probably should finish that. We're not even using that. We paid good money for that. And then next week, it's still sitting in the corner. Does anybody ever start projects and not finish them other than me? I I just want to know if I'm alone in my backslidden sin up here. Okay. So James preached on like the sluggard and the sloth at men's conference. And, you know, I still haven't recovered from that yet because because if you don't have diligence, you'll never accomplish anything. You have to pursue this thing with diligence. You can't be a sluggard and approach spiritual growth like that. It, it takes diligence. It takes all diligence. So God's given us a process. So let's look at the process. For some of you, you've heard these things, but, but hearing them doesn't mean they landed in your heart. And I want to challenge you. Listen, man, have fresh ears to hear. What God says is his divine sequence for growth. Number one, virtue gets added to your faith. Remember, Peter made a profession of faith. And man, that sealed him for eternity. But listen, virtue is something that's got to get added, and it's got to get added to the right thing. It gets added to faith. The very first thing that you have to add in your walk with Christ is virtue. And by definition, virtue is just a voluntary obedience to the truth. And as we study that word, and again, man, we, we, I saw you didn't pack a lunch today, but if we had like another hour, we'd go through each of these seven things exhaustively. But when you study the word virtue, the very first mention is the book of Ruth. And there's a woman in, in, in the book of Ruth named Ruth. And the Bible says of her that she is a virtuous woman. What does that mean? It means that she was marked by a strength to change. She simply did what she knew to do was right. How do you know that? Well, she left her cursed people to follow Naomi. She left her cursed gods to follow the God of Israel. She labored in a field to provide for herself and her mother-in-law. And ultimately... God gave her a Jewish redeemer. She just did what she was supposed to do. And listen, Ruth is a great picture in your Old Testament of a Gentile bride, a spouse to to a Jewish kinsman redeemer. She's a great picture of the church. 
the Old Testament. The reason she's called virtuous is because she just did what she was supposed to do. And so God tells us in 2 Peter chapter 1 and verse 3 that God has called us to glory and virtue. Listen, glory comes when you get a redeemed body. That's your future. Praise God for that, by the way. I hope we get one that doesn't sweat. I'm serious. Man, the last week has been horrible. Like every time I go outside and work, I am like, it's disgusting. I hope the glorified body, man, is like that. But listen, that's future. But virtue's now. Your glory comes in the future. But man, your virtue is now. It's time for you to exercise virtue. Philippians 4 and verse 8, Paul writes and he says, Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. Listen, if there be any virtue, if there be any praise, think on these things. And what I think God wants us to learn from that passage is, when God reveals his word to us, we ought to have an attitude of what is the virtue piece that needs to be added because of what I've learned. What do I need to do with what God has shown me? I need to do what God has shown me to do. If there be any virtue, you need to think on those things. And then you need to do those things. So for some of you, you know, man, that God has a next step for you. Whether it's baptism or discipleship or ministry, you already know. But virtue is doing what you know to do. You think on what God's revealed to you and then you do it. Virtue gets added to faith. Number two, quickly. Knowledge gets added to virtue. And again, man, listen, for some of you, I know this is old hat. You've already got the blanks filled out. I get it. But once you start doing what is right to do, then God can trust you with knowledge, not so that you can know more, but so that you can obey more. You see, the danger in discipleship is to add knowledge to faith. And when that happens, what you have is a disobedient Christian that's puffed up with knowledge. I know none of those people are in the room. But man, this process matters. And God is very strategic with his sequence. And that's why we can get to step 17 and realize, hey, you know what? We really don't have a disciple of Christ here. What we, what we have is somebody that's puffed up with knowledge, but they're not exercising virtue in any area of their life. Like if you make it through 18 lessons of discipleship and there's not a change in what you are doing with your life based on what you've learned from God's word, then all you got was knowledge. And that's not helping anybody. Actually, you've added knowledge to the wrong thing. You've added it to faith instead of virtue. Isaiah chapter 5 verse 13 says this, Therefore my people are gone into captivity because they have no knowledge. You see, knowledge is beneficial when it comes at the right time with the right application. There are time, there's a time where you need to know more. But it's not until you're doing what you know to do. And Christians have the horrible testimony of knowing more Bible than they live. Can we change that testimony, church? Seriously. Can we just live what we know to live? 
so that God can trust us with more to live. Are we okay with that? I mean, if you're not okay with it, just be honest. God already knows your heart. Man, man God help us to, to not do what we know to do, and God help us not to learn more so that we can obey more. Isaiah 28, verse 9. Whom shall he teach knowledge? And whom shall he make to understand doctrine? Them that are weaned from the milk and drawn from the breast. And so knowledge gets added to virtue. And then number three, temperance gets added to knowledge. Temperance gets added to knowledge. And in your notes, you've got the, the, the slide. Temperance is the process of strengthening some things by purging some things and adding some things. Many times we use the illustration of, of tempered glass or tempered steel. It's hardened, it's strengthened because impurities are taken out, strengthening agents are put in. And, and listen, God's knowledge, God's, God's knowledge from His Word has to be tempered in our life. In other words, as you're growing as a disciple, there's going to be things in our lives that we have to, to eliminate. Now that, that makes us uncomfortable as Americans. But there are things in our lives that have to go, but there's also things that have to be added so that we can be strong. And there, there's a lot of, I think you have a lot of references. 1 Corinthians chapter 9 talks about uh, an, an athlete running a race and he's temperate in all things. My, I always use this illustration. My dad used to run uh, uh, distance, like marathon type stuff. And, and before he got to the point he was running marathons, he was, he was running like he was so out of shape, man, he would just run around our house. My dad, my dad was in the military, and, and, and then he kind of, you know, physically diminished a little bit and, and was doing things, and he finally was just like, i got to get in shape. I'm going to start exercising and running. And so he began just to run around our house, and that would wind him. It was horrible. Like a couple laps around the house, and he would be gassed, right? And, and he's just wearing whatever he's got, sweatpants, shorts, whatever, tennis shoes. But, man, he just kept, he kept doing it. And all of a sudden, the distance started increasing, and now he could run a mile and two miles and three miles and five miles, and then he was running 10 miles, and it was like, man, this is an amazing transformation. I remember as a kid, I would ride my bicycle with my dad while he was running. You know, and I'd ride down the road, and I'd turn around and come back and ride down the road and come back. And I'm like, man, he's, I'm on a bike. He's running. I mean, I made the better decision, but I'm just saying, okay. So, but I'm like, man, he is going a long ways. What I noticed was the more he ran and the more serious he got about it, things began to change, not just physically. His, his running wardrobe changed. So, so he got lighter, lightweight shorts. Super thin tank tops, right? Very nice, but light shoes. Why? Because when you're running a race, man, ounces matter. And all those things can, can hinder you from optimal performance. And I remember, man, he finally got to where he ran his first marathon. It was crazy. You know, 26.2 miles. Where's Derek? I don't know if Derek's in here, but man, I, I'm not a runner. Is it 26.2? And I was blown away. Like, dude, you ran like over 20 miles. That's crazy. I'd die. I'd just die. There's just no way. The point is, he began to temper himself so that he could do what he wanted to do. And so 1 Corinthians 13 talks about as we mature in our relationship with Christ. Listen, when I was a child, Paul says, I spake as a child. I understood as a child. I thought as a child. But when I became a man, I put away childish things. You see, with maturity, with temperance, there comes a putting away. 
And I know, man, I, I know we all kind of still want our closet full of He-Man and G.I. Joes and all that stuff. I get it, man. All right, there's, there's a part of that that's like still there, right? But man, we're men, men. And, and if we're going to grow and do what God's called us to do, there's just some things that we have to put away. That's called temperance. Okay, and then number four, patience gets added to temperance. And nobody likes this one. Because, man, as we grow and mature, God is going to use this thing of patience to mature us. In, in James chapter 1 and, and, and verse 3 and 4, it says this, Knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. So your faith is going to get tried. And God says that the trying of your faith worketh patience. Verse 4 says, Let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect. The word perfect in your Bible never means sinless, but it does mean mature. So patience has a maturing work in our lives. And, 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 it, and it's connected to the trying of our faith. And when it works out in our life, it makes us perfect and entire, wanting nothing. So patience has a perfecting work. And, and here's the key based on that verse. Patience is something that you have to let work in your life. And it's hard, man. It's hard. When God is trying to develop patience into your life, you, you've tempered yourself, you've added some things, you've rid your life of things so that you can run the race. Well, guess what? Now your faith's going to get tried. And you're going to have to decide how serious you really are. And man, listen, if you don't get patience, you'll never be perfect. You'll never be mature. And it's at this point, I think, that you realize when people are serious about their spiritual growth. Because people that are impatient causes them to get ahead of God's timing or not be submissive to God's plan in the moment. I know nobody in this room is impatient. Like, I know you haven't watched your clock already and wondered when this thing's going to be over, right? Like, nobody's ready to get up out of here. But I'm just telling you, man. God, God has a trying of our faith, and through patience, He accomplishes maturing and perfection. And that's something that you have to let happen in your life. And by the way, if you're discipling somebody, you have to let it happen in their life too. You can't be the Savior because God may be very well trying to develop patience in your disciples' life. You need to let God mature them through difficulty and through hard times. Number five, God, godliness gets added to patience. And again, man, I, I, we don't have time, but, but listen, godliness gets added to patience. Godliness defined as God manifest in the flesh. We get that from 1 Timothy chapter 3 and verse 16. It says, without controversy, great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifest in the flesh. Jesus Christ is God in the flesh. The Bible tells you that. He was justified in the spirit. He was seen of angels, preached unto the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up into glory. So the definition of godliness is God being manifest in the flesh. But listen, there comes a point in your maturity where Christ begins to be manifest in your flesh. And it comes at this point. And let me just say, listen, without patience, there is no perfection and without perfection, there is no godliness. These are sequential. These are dependent on the previous thing that has to be added. You can't, you can't skip from faith to godliness. It doesn't work like that. 
And then number six is brotherly kindness gets added to godliness. Ephesians 4, verse 32, it says, Be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God, for Christ's sake, have forgiven you. You know, there comes a point in your maturity where kindness to one another as brothers and sisters in Christ, it's that Philadelphian love for the brethren. Well, that's evident in your life. Romans 12, verse 10 says, Be kindly affectioned one to another with brotherly love, in honor, preferring one another. That takes maturity. That takes maturity. It takes perfection. And then lastly is charity. Charity gets added to brotherly kindness. And again, man, you've got the reference, Titus chapter 2. As, as we read that passage in Titus 2, actually charity is a characteristic of an aged man. He says, But thou speak thou the things which become sound doctrine, that the aged men be sober, grave, temperate, sound in faith, in charity, and patience. You see, the sign of an aged man, a spiritually mature man, which, by the way, is not dependent on physical age, a spiritually mature man is a man that's sound in charity. He's sound in charity. And so these seven things, man, this sequence, that's the instruction manual. And, and I expect you to walk out of here with more questions than answers, but you need to know there's a, there's a process. And if you don't follow the process, whatever you're going to get at the end of that won't be a disciple of Christ. Look at verse 8. Let's finish this thing out. You know, God gives us that process and then gives us a tremendous promise in verse 8. Look at verse 8, and I, I love this verse, man. He says, for if these things be in you, what things is he talking about? It's the seven things that we just studied. If these things be in you and abound, they make you that ye shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know that there's a promise connected to this process? That if you follow it, and these things are in you, all seven of these things, and they're abounding in you, God says you'll never be barren or unfruitful in the knowledge of Jesus Christ. That's a tremendous promise. Okay, one of you believe that. You'll never fall in verse 10. Verse 11 says you'll have an abundant entrance into God's kingdom. You'll, you'll faithfully give God the maximum glory out of your life. And God will allow you to bring maximum glory through your life in eternity because of it. That's a tremendous promise. So what you do now matters. And how you build now matters. And if you just dump out all the pieces on the floor, man, and start putting stuff together trying to figure it out, you're going to end up with something that it won't be a disciple of Jesus Christ. God gives you a promise, man, it's worth the investment and your diligence. But then lastly, he gives us a precaution and we're done. Look at verse 9. But, I think it's been said many times, man, you've got to be careful of the buts in the Bible. Because now this is a conflicting or a contradictory statement. Hey, if you have these things, it's going to work out really good for you. Verse 9. But... He that lacketh these things. So in other words, you sit here and you listen to this, you know, preaching and you say, hey, that's great. I'm not really interested in any of that stuff. I'm not going to do any of that stuff. Okay, God has something for you. What he has is if you lack these things, 
blind. And you cannot see afar off. And you've forgotten that you were purged from your old sins. You see, God says if you don't follow this process and don't divinely sequence these things in your life, the end result of that is a man or a woman that spiritually is blind and cannot see past their nose. You can't see eternity. You live like a lost person. Even to the point that you've forgotten Jesus Christ saved you from your sin. You say, I don't think I could ever get there. God would disagree. As a matter of fact, there will be people one second into the rapture that are surprised they made it. Why? Because they made a profession of faith and they never did anything else. And they lived the rest of their life for themselves and for their own glory. And they weren't interested in building a life that brought Christ maximum glory, but themselves. And listen, God is such a good God and a faithful God that when you make a profession, man, He seals you for eternity. But even Peter, even Peter can make a grave mistake with his life, denying Christ. Just like that, man, every born-again person in this room and under the sound of my voice, you can make a decision to be saved and to refuse to grow. The reality is you won't see past your nose spiritually. What a poor testimony. In closing, I, I would ask this question, what type of Christian are you? And, and I want to go back to my silly illustration that I started with. What type of Christian are you? See, some of you in this room, you, you really want to be a disciple. I believe that. I do believe that. But, but unfortunately, you have not come to the realization of your own responsibility in that. You want someone else to do that. Maybe you want to ride the coattails of other Christians. Or maybe you want Christ to just do it in your life. But the truth is, you can't outsource your own spiritual growth. You can't. Some of you in this room, man, I love you, and you've been busy building. You're busy doing things and, and trying to do ministry and trying to evangelize and, and, and giving and, and, and all those different things. But listen, you don't have a clue on God's process or pattern for growth. I mean, you're frustrated with the results, and I get it, man. I get it because it's frustrating when you get to step 17 and you've got to go all the way back to step three, and you have to take the whole thing apart to put it back together in order. Can I just love you enough to say, listen, man, the reason you're frustrated is because you're not following the instruction. You're not following the instruction. And not only are you frustrated, but no offense, quite frankly, you may be a frustration to others too. Because just because you're busy doesn't mean you're growing properly, biblically. And the truth is you never really grow up some of you in this room understand the process. You're taking it one step at a time, and maybe you're starting to get impatient. Can I just tell you? You let God work it out in His timing. God will bless your obedience. You'll be fruitful in your knowledge of Him, and, and, and rest assured, and if you just keep going, you're not going to fall. You're guaranteeing yourself an abundant entrance into God's kingdom. 
Sadly, this morning, it's quite possible that some of us are blind. Some of us are blind this morning. Blind to the things of God, blind to the Word of God, quite possibly even to the place that you don't even know anymore if you're saved or not. That's not me. I would never, I would never be like that. Okay, well, maybe you know you're saved, but you probably don't know much else. Would, would you let that warning from God's Word affect your heart and help you understand that if you're lacking these things and, and the order of God's divine sequence, that you're never going to get what you want. You don't have those things. And would you consider submitting to God's process of maturity? I pray that you would. God's given us the instruction manual. and He guarantees results. Man, our God doesn't lie. And that's what it takes to be a disciple. All right, let me pray us out here. Father, thank you for, man, just the challenge from your word. And, and God,